G'day team, we're wrapping up the working week, the traditional working week of Monday to Friday. A big thanks to Mark Watson and Sammy for carrying the last couple of days. Um, funerals are never much fun, are they? But I do believe in celebrating lives. Um, so that's where I've been the last couple of days. Um, but we are back on deck, uh, back on deck now. Back on track today, coming up today, Ryan Fox. I caught up with him a couple of days ago, um, recorded it for you today. Um, Just reflecting on that amazing win of his last week and what makes him tick and where to from here. And does the US PGA Tour now loom large? Because I think he gets fully qualified for that now. He can choose. He's got a lot of options. So we will catch up with him at some stage. Uh, Sammy Hewitt. Um, they had delays. He got searched at uh, customs in New Zealand. He's a fearful flyer, is Sammy Hewitt. So I said, once you've composed yourself, send us a text and we'll give him a quick call about the Brisbane and Warriors game. Jeremy Paul show at two o'clock as per usual. Uh, of course, looking at both, he loves his rugby league. Um, now his nights are gone. I expect them to be fully on board with the Warriors. And we'll also talk about the Wallabies in an absolute do or die. I think that's Monday morning New Zealand time, the Wallabies against Wales. Um, Courtney Tidy, former Silver Fern, will catch up with us before just before 2.30. A quick look at the Tiny Jamison Trophy with the England team they'll be in New Zealand now to take on the Silver Ferns. And none of the England squad from the World Cup are here which annoyed uh, administrators of New Zealand netball, and I think rightly so, um, feeling it's been quite a dismissive attitude. But the England have bound, uh, fired back saying, these are our up-and-comers, they're well worthy of representing our country. So first game is on Sunday in Christchurch, I believe. So we'll catch up with Courtney. We go across the ditch with Jimmy Smith as well. But to kick us off, as we do every day of the Rugby World Cup, it's the Rugby World Cup headline hour. Twelve to one every weekday during Rugby World Cup 2023. This is the Rugby World Cup headline hour on Afternoons with Staffy. Okay, well, for me, I think we've got a match this weekend befitting a World Cup final with Ireland and uh, number one team in the world in South Africa, the defending champions. So we've got quite a bit of insight into that for the first half hour or so. First one we're going to pick the brains off. Ronan O'Gara uh, was talking to Big Jim. We've had a lot of Big Jim on, um, former Irish, was he Scottish? Scottish lock, Irish lock. Big Jim. I think he's Scottish. Anyway, he caught up with Ronan O'Gara, who, of course, is the head coach of La Rochelle and just a legend of the game in Irish rugby. First question to Ronan, um, first comment, really, was about the pressure of playing for, for, for Ireland and his thoughts on Ireland's chances of winning the World Cup. The biggest thrill in life is playing for your country. You know, The club game is brilliant, but there's another level and it's so much harder and it's... The, the, the depth of pride is bigger with your country. Mm. I saw, you mean, Paul O'Connell is a good friend. Are you, um, geez, it would be unbelievable to watch someone that you really like um, lift the Rugby World Cup. You know, Ireland have never done it. It's, 
but it's becoming more and more attainable and I think this group more importantly see themselves because if you don't see it before it happens you won't do it mm-hmm. I think that's very important because people think sometimes you know what I mean that it's decided by the 80 minutes I'm not too sure I think from a mental point of view I think a lot of players nowadays and coaches prepare and can nearly show the players this is what will happen if you do A, B and C and if you do that then you'll get the performance if you get the performance you lift the William Avellis and not only was Ryan O'Gara a wonderful player storied career but he's forming himself into an excellent coach uh, as I mentioned head coach of La Rochelle and he did a stint with the Crusaders so Big Jim asked him a technical question he said how do you unlock the South African rush defence to beat a rush defence you got to go through it an awful lot of people try and go around it so there's a complete I think misunderstanding what you're trying to achieve. If you want to, for me, the key on playing against a rush defence is you've got to attack flailing arms. And that's a skill in itself because if you run into bodies, it's your tackle behind the gain line and the ball is going to be held up. Rock speed will be four or five seconds. But if you can identify opportunities for late footwork at the line into flailing arms the capacity for high shots which is nowadays is a red card or a yellow card on a on a probably an average occasion uh, footwork and fend at the line short passes everyone tries to play long pass long pass if you play long pass long pass against South Africa they'll eat you up with salt it's exactly what they're looking for so what you need to do, reduce the space between your nine and ten, or first receiver, reduce your space from, so do you get me? So nine and ten might only take three South Africans. Ten to this next defender, next attacker might only take three defenders. They'll probably have eight on the line, but you've got to know if you can get accuracy on that second pass. So nine to ten, we'll say, ten to Bundiaki or Ringrose, and if there's a potential, what will happen there, the shooter will come on him, he will not get the capacity to go one, two, long pass. The, what he might do, he might get hit ball and all, but he might be able to tip. And I'm going through from the halfway line. Or even better, if you imagine I'm here, you're there, who's behind here? Mm. James Lowe or Hansen. They're gone. Mm. But do you get me? Because we've tried to go through them here, we've taken seven defenders. The other big thing, of course, this... Ireland-South Africa game uh, will decide the opponents of probably France and hopefully the All Blacks as well. So, it was put to Ronan. If Ireland beat South Africa, they then get to play New Zealand in the quarters. So does it, <clears throat> does it really matter who you play in the quarters? It hugely matters. Mm. I, 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 my one strong point in this World Cup is avoid France. I think I'm pretty well placed to comment on them and understand them and uh, you got a taste of it on opening night uh, where they were bang average for 40 minutes and then they have this capacity to take, I think, their game to a level no one else has. That's a strong thing to say, Mm. but I just think, I don't think... You underestimate, and I certainly don't, but there's no one in any team like Dupont. He's 
for me, he's 10 points to France every game. He's too good. He's, I've analysed him in depth, but you try to understand and coach how you can limit him, but he becomes such a uh, an enigma, is it? An anomaly yeah, when both. he doesn't have the ball. And you go, well, what are you saying, Raj? You know what I mean? But so, for example, the opposition have the ball and they're going, and then suddenly there's a knock on or there's a slap of a hand and ball bounces, and then it's like he's like a magnet, and then he has the freakish strength of a front row and back row, he has the fend of a centre, and he has the speed of a winger, and he has the smarts of a 10, and he's gone. You know, that's so, yeah. where, where he does stuff that. Sometimes, you know what I mean? I, I absolutely, I hate him obviously because he's mm. from Toulouse and he's so good and he's caused me a lot of hurt. But I, I, I admire everything in this rugby player. He's, he's beyond the freak for me. He is. Uh, so he's key to France. If he wasn't playing, you'd be obviously naturally less worried as teams. But he is the one, isn't he? He, oh, is, he, he would, is the one. He would deflate a nation. He's Zidane for this team. And he might be gone. Wow. We left that in. Um, this was before DuPont's injury, of course. It was actually, uh, they recorded it overnight. And um, I listened to it before DuPont's injury. So he's worth 10 points. It would deflate a nation if he was ruled out. So I will keep you up to date of any more news reports that come out of France. However, given that it's uh, middle of the night there now, what would it be? I think it'll be quarter past two in the morning there now. So I don't know that we'll get any updates, but I will keep across it for you good folk. Uh, now, there's a great, um, another YouTube channel, actually, which I stumbled on today called The Box Office, which is great. Um, Jean de Villiers, Skulk Burger, and Brian Habana. Um, they were discussing this massive game this weekend as well. Uh, first up, Jean de Villiers was asked, what makes Ireland so good? They are very impressive. Uh, you know, I think we've spoken about it so many times before. Their, their their attacking ability, the way they get their face play going. You know, once they once they hit like two three second rucks, uh, you know, they're extremely difficult difficult to stop. Um, and I think you know, speaking about the the weekend's game as well. Tonga, we thought, would be able to put up a bit of a fight. I think they were a little bit disappointing in terms of that. Um, and even though initially maybe the 10, 15 minutes, you know, a, a, a bit of quality shown by by Tonga, but the later the game went on, um, the better Ireland got. And I think for us, you know, you expect them so many times to to have great starter plays, but this time around the the ability to attack from second and third phase yeah. and have, have the trick plays up their sleeve there and the effectiveness of that, how they were cutting the line and just getting it right, you know, that, 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 was, that was really impressive. Then it was put to Skulk Berger, the wonderful abrasive loose forward he was. He was asked what impresses him with Ireland and how do you beat them? I always go into these games a little bit nervous yeah. because the contrast in styles, because they won't attack. They set up so quickly and efficiently. They break down so, so nice and they hold on to the ball. They boss the ball. So they ask different questions of your defence. And the way we defend is to get the ball back. Like it's a power defence. We rush. We know if you try and play deep, doesn't matter how deep you go, we go fetch you. Yeah. But there's no half measures in our defence. It's flat out all the time. Whether we got two against four or one against three, he's going. Yeah. And it works for us. 
Does. But it also doesn't take a lot to get it wrong. Mm. Don't lock it down. And last year in November, I was just as nervous. And I said, listen, this will be a proper test of our mm. metal. And if we are going to be, okay, just one mindset, no second guessing, and we got them. Okay, we lost the game, but I felt much more comfortable yeah. after. So this game, I think we've got the right artillery to put them under pressure. But we talk about the Irish side, and you talk about outside influence. Yeah. Mac Henson. Yeah. Henson, yeah. Australia, Bandiaki, James Lowe, Rob Herring, yeah. you know, Gibson Park. Gibson Park. And then uh, Jean de Villiers first, then Brian Habana, then Skulkberger. They were all asked each in turn who impresses them from Ireland and what are the big matchups in this game? I'll go Bandiaki. He's been really impressive. Yeah. Um, the two games he played now as well, just the momentum he provides on it. And, and again, that platform from set phases and then being able to play off to that. So. That's going to be a big matchup, him and, yeah. and Damien Delendi. So I think for me, it's going to be at hooker. So we know there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bongim Nambi. Too. We don't know if Dan talking Sheen, about the front row. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying we're not sure if Dan Sheen's going, okay. to, going to be ready to play or not. You know, Keller's also really good, but you know, I think Bongi's got a lot of pressure to try get a full 60 or 70 minutes mm. um, to just try give a bit of buffer. And because of that, Malcolm loss, how Bongi then steps up, really yeah. ignites and fires the the rest of the pack. And we all know, like, if your pack doesn't go well. Whether it be line out or scrum, you know, set phase dominance becomes really difficult to try to dominate everyone else in the field. I think, like, if we want to get through nine and ten, yeah. and I think Gibson Park will start against us yeah, for the agreed. speed of the ruck. Mm-hmm. And Conor Murray off the bench. He'll come yeah, off the bench okay, when, like, the game's a little bit tighter and he'll return to, like, a, a contestable kicking yeah. game, which he's really good at. But then if we get to nine, if we get their rucks to slow down, we'll get to Johnny. We'll get to Sexton. Yeah, and we've seen in the past against South African <laughs> sides where it's ultimate power versus their. You know, skill set and goal, it's not a comfortable place for them. Yeah. They, they get turned inside. They get, they get narrower. Yeah. And, you know, they do feel the heat. They get a lot of contact put on them. And I don't think that's a comfortable zone for them. We saw um, against Scotland, we got too fun. We got to him early. And, and, and ultimately, that you know, disrupted his rhythm and the Scottish rhythm. And, of course, as we know, Ireland have never progressed past the quarter-finals. So both... Skulkberger and John de Villiers were asked what they think their mentality is now. In cricket, we, we've got the same thing of getting into a big ICC tournament yeah. and not getting it over the line. Yes, we've been close. You know, we've come to a, a, semi, a couple of semifinals and we've had sides that were good enough to win it, but unfortunately, we just haven't got it over the line. And I think for Ireland, it doesn't matter how much you try and downplay it, and every group is different. Every group responds to pressure differently. They'll have a different build-up. They're number one in the world. But that pressure will come at some yep. stage. And it's whether they can handle it and get through that hurdle. Because if they do get through a quarterfinal this year, there's probably going to be odds-on favourites to well, go they, and win it. They'll definitely they'll definitely get to the final then. You know, you get yeah. through the first knockout this year and you make it you make it to a final. I think the, the difference between this game, the weekend, and a quarterfinal game is that you can still make it through even if you lose, yeah, lose yeah. on the weekend. Um, you know, for Ireland, so it's not a it's not a knockout. It's not a do or die. Even though you you are making it a little bit more difficult for yeah. yourself, whether you're Irish or South African. Um, but but that's why this is this is going to be a huge game. And let's be fair, the two form sides of the World Cup. Yeah. If you yeah. take on performances, the first two weeks, these two teams have been the teams that have been spot on in everything that they've done. And finally, the whole panel were asked for their score predictions of Ireland versus Springboks. I think I went for 28-26. I, I don't know what I went for, but like the box by the smallest margin possible, mm. one point. 
One point to Nick. Mm. Right? Yeah, I also, I also think the box have done enough. Uh, they've got some really great momentum with them. I, like John has got, I don't see much being in it. I'd love to see us score a few tries, both sides, but I yeah. think the box at least by three. There we go. They're all picking box by between one and three. So a, a tight old game. We will take a break. We'll come. You hold on there, Dino. We'll take your call straight after this. We go to the phones. We go to Dunedin. We go to Dino. Good afternoon, sir. Yes, Davey. Not too bad. You? Yeah, very well. I um, listen to the radio all afternoon. I've actually been listening to it all week. And I think it's quite ironic. And it sort of sums up where New Zealand rugby fans sit at the moment. We're all sort of a wee bit concerned and hope the best for young DuPont because of the skill factor and whatnot. Like, have you ever seen a guy kick off his right foot and kick off his left foot with such pinpoint accuracy running? Bloody sure I haven't, but he, hopefully he, he's okay. Freakish talent. Oh, absolutely. But haven't we got a captain that's injured as well? Yes. Yes. Why does no one care about Agoy? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, no, it's obvious. I mean, you no. Know, why do we all lie about it, Smithy? Like, we, he just shouldn't be there. Like, I mean, not so stabby. Like, I've had a guts full of it all in New Zealand, you know? Like, that's why it's not, it's never on the news. No one even asks how he's getting on. It's because we're better off without him. It has been, you know, I'm here, it has been quite silent, hasn't it? Oh, it's embarrassing for the guy. Like, I'm sitting here with my French rugby jersey on and my Warriors vest. <laughs> it used to be an old joke myself, you know, and I can get away with it now because I've got that bloody farming show on, so no one can hear you down here, so I won't lose my teeth next time I go home. But it used to be what was the definition of confusion, and it was Father's Day in Gore, but now it's <laughs> being an all-black supporter, you know? Like... <laughs> oh, that's not bad, mate. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> well, it's true. It's common. It's just a bit of a joke. You anywhere you go, you know, like when you pick on a wee country town, but it is a bit different down in Gore, as we all know. But hopefully they're all okay down there, but... It is what it is. It's just the same drainage everywhere with lack of council expertise. You know, it's all over the country. Thankfully, Auckland flooded, so now most of them are getting into it and trying to sort things out. But yeah, I just sort of bring up about the Sam Kane thing. Like it's a, it's a bit embarrassing because it's never on the news. Like they all blast on the news every night, but then no one ever sees how. I seen him running last night on the news when I watched, but yeah, no, no one sees he's okay or if he's going to be back or we don't really care. Oh. I, I do think we care, and I think there would have been questions asked, and we probably got no comment, or he's progressing well, or he's running. Um, there is a little bit of, we don't often hear the good stories or bad stories out of rugby in New Zealand. That's that's wearing my media hat. You're not always given the insights. That's the problem in New Zealand, isn't it? Like You look at the sports worldwide that are going really well, like, you don't have to be Einstein. You look at the Warriors, and they've always had the talent. They've just had some ex-players, ex-coaching that are just not up to it. It's the problem with New Zealand rugby as well. Like, Webby's just got them aside by themselves and got them to believe. And now you know, they might be onto something really, really good. Like they don't, if they don't achieve, they've already out achieved above any expectations this year. So good luck to them. But next year they're going to be a hell of a force. They really are. They they absolutely are. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's just experience. Like everyone says, you've got to go to the big dance to win a dance, you know, but the other team you don't want to play, put it that way. Like, especially if they get a roll on early. Like, that first clash, I don't follow it enough to actually know all the names, but is it Fanua Blake, our machine forward, and yep. the Broncos have got one as well. And, like, 
the clash of those two, the first hit-up, whoever catches the kickoff and gives it to the either-or and the other guy smokes them or attempts to, that's going to really... Well, it's exciting, isn't it? That's why we want to watch the game. Mm. Like, I don't even know their names, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Dino, um, who's your pick, though? Who's your pick, South Africa or Ireland? Well, South Africa all day. Yeah. The game's one up front. It's not rugby league. You don't hand them the ball. Yeah. Like, and they, I love him. That's back on the coaching thing. He doesn't... He named his team a week early, so the opposition worry about his team. Like, that's just classic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolute clear. He don't care. His team might not even. He don't care what's in the program. He might not run out those guys. They got a torn hamstring or blood nose warming up. You know, you can put anyone out there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's just playing games. He's bloody good at it. Mm. We're useless. Our coach is a muppet, an absolute muppet. You don't even know what position to put players in. He wouldn't get a job in bloody Pirates under eight in Invercargill. They wouldn't want him. <laughs> oh, Dino. You're firing on all cylinders. I wish you a wonderful weekend of sport, buddy, and we'll catch up again next week. I'll tell you what, on the final note, though, Steffi, I seen him having a go at a digger in Gisborne. Maybe they'll give him a job in gore filling sandbags. They wouldn't pay him, though. No, they wouldn't pay him. Wouldn't pay him. No. Good on you, mate. Wouldn't pay there's Dino from Dunedin. I want to thank, sort of, Brendan for texting and saying, Afternoon, Staffy. One of your best interviews you've had, I reckon, was Jason Wynyard. And it's bloody heartbreaking seeing him on the news the other night, what he's going through, the poor bugger. Now, Brendan, I'm thanking you because I didn't know about that. So uh, during the ad break, I just looked it up. And uh, it was less than a year ago. We had Jason Wynyard in studio, obviously, the nine-time world champion woodchopper, had him in studio for an hour and it was just an incredibly humbling mo- uh, hour just learning all about this wonderful man. And um, he in May was diagnosed with stage four Burkitt lymphoma. He's since undergone four cycles of chemotherapy, but just before the fourth cycle, he was advised by the specialists that it spread too far and it was too aggressive and they couldn't do anything else for him. Uh, he was on the strongest possible chemo treatment. Um, he was given three weeks ago, he was given a week to live and a 1% chance, but he's trying everything. He's throwing everything at it. Hyperbaric oxygen oxygen chamber and frequency treatment. And he said, those two things are the main, main reason I can continue to operate like this. Um and he says, I've set myself a goal of where I want to end up, and I'm just focusing on that. That's been most of my life, setting goals, doing whatever's necessary to achieve them. So it's with a heavy heart. I've just uh, read about the great Jason Wynyard, um, and that came out three days ago, and I've been away to a funeral myself, so I, you sort of lose track of everything. I wasn't pouring over sports news or watching TV news, so... Uh, anyone connected to the wonderful man that is Jason Wynyard, um heartfelt heartfelt thoughts are going out to you. He is an absolute fighter. There is no doubt about that. And uh, just seeing photos of him, pictures of him, what he's going through now, it's, um, it's the harsh reality of, of life and what it gets dealt up. So, yeah, thanks, Brendan, for bringing that to my attention. It's It's very, very sad moment. Right, uh, we will take some new sport and weather. When we come back we're going to hear from Gary Ringrose out of the Irish camp. I'm trying to get as much information as I can out of the DePont story. 
I think I've got an update, but it's in French. So, la victoire historique à 15 France Fossé à l'Anne-Mibier. Jeudi des Assemblées. If anyone knows what that means. Because <laughs> I don't. I'm just trying to find a, uh, a button on this page that says give me it in English, Anglais. Um, someone has said, is DuPont out of the World Cup? I saw the tackle. And he ate that shoulder. Poor guy. He's an absolute point-scoring machine, Andy. What the, the, the latest I've got is it's either a broken jaw maxilla. So there's a mandible and a maxilla. And I don't know which one's upper and which one's lower. Um, but if it's just a crack, if, it, if he doesn't need an operation, he could be back for the semi. So, I mean, they won't put him at risk. If he needs an operation, he'll get the operation. Uh, but the last we heard from Fabian Gaultier, the coach, was if it's a crack, he could come back by the time of the semi-final. If he needs an operation, that'll be him done for the tournament. So that's the latest on uh, Antoine Dupont. Um, huge loss of them. Huge loss if, uh, for France. But hey, we went through four first fives in 2011. They've just lost one halfback. They've just lost one halfback. Just on the Sam Kane thing, good text here and saying, in terms of Sam Kane, All Blacks are much better with him than without him. Just look at our last two games. And I actually agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, let's go inside the Irish camp. This was overnight when um, they put up Gary Ringrose and Bundy Arkey, of course, the centre pairing. First question, Gary Ringrose, what do you expect from South Africa and how difficult will they be to beat? Incredibly difficult, I reckon. You know, uh, they, they pride themselves on, on their defence and they're a really well-organised defensive team. Um, but maybe from the outside looks chaotic. Uh, you can see they're all on the same page and um, you can have players that can make a massive impact defensively. So it, it'll put our attack under huge stress no doubt and, and that's the challenge to try and deal with that and uh, hopefully perform to the level we want to and, and expect um, and then on the other side of it uh, attacking wise they've some of the most dangerous uh, individuals in world rugby um, on top top form so for when we don't have the ball uh, you, there's no room to switch off concentration wise um, or else you, you concede um, and, and that's not even mentioning the physical challenge that, that we alluded to earlier there. So it's yeah, a concoction of everything, I need to be honest. Uh, then he was asked about uh, the box defensive systems and the way they defend. How much of a threat is that? I mean, I guess it's it's an element of both. It's a huge threat. They they score off the back of their defence um, a load. So um, that's probably what makes it the biggest threat. I mean, they, they put you under pressure, force teams to maybe go away from um, what they're good at uh, but then what we're challenging ourselves is to try and be organised attacking wise um, to be able to, to deal with that pressure um, try and play in the right areas and get to space when we can so um, I mean it's it's easier said than done and I mean you see I've no doubt teams go in uh, to games against South Africa with the plan and um, pretty quickly that goes out the door when, when that defensive pressure comes on from them. So it, it is a credit to them and, and such a big threat, but it, it's a challenge we're kind of relishing because um, it, it's testing ourselves against one of the best defensive teams. So 
Um, as, you, as you said, it's, it's definitely a huge threat, but I mean, if, if we can get it right, hopefully it can be an opportunity too. And of course, he's the centre partner of Bundyaki, who will earn his 50th Irish cap. Just incredible, really. Um, so Gary Ingrose was asked on his thoughts on his combination with Bundy. Consider myself lucky to play alongside Bundy, and um, I think everyone in the group is unbelievably happy to see him get the 50 uh, for him and his family. Um, I mean, when he when he first came to Connacht, he kind of captured everyone's heart to Connacht, and then he he's done that from the moment he put on the Irish jersey. So it couldn't be uh, it couldn't be more deserved. Um, so yeah, as I said, I consider myself lucky to, to play alongside him and I know speaking for the other centres um, and Robbie and Stuart that are here and some that are back home would, would say the exact same thing. And finally from the Irish centre, Gary Ringrose, he was asked, how do you pre- prepare yourself mentally for South Africa's physicality? I mean, I think whenever, certainly in my own headspace, whenever you're playing an international test match, it's you have to get yourself kind of mentally to be ready for that physical battle, so um, this week is no different in that regard. Because um, for like any game, you got to get to that headspace to be able to perform. But I guess with South African, how they might pride themselves on on their physicality, um, the challenge would be to get to that level and maybe even a bit more uh, might be needed. So um, certainly one of the biggest tests uh, in the face. Yeah. Cannot wait for this match. Can't wait for this match. Uh, we've got a good rugby man on the line, Steve from Auckland. G'day, Steve. Yes, g'day, Steve. I hope you're well, mate. Um, a couple, couple of quick things. Um, just, just on the punt, man, that's that's a massive loss. Mm. I know we lost a lot of first flies back in, in 2011, but I still think we had a, a, a good enough team to do the job. Um, probably without, without Dan Carter, and, and so it proved, and we had guys who came in and did the job, but you asked the question, I think maybe a few weeks ago, pre-World Cup, who would we hate to lose? And um, the person I thought of straight away was Aaron Smith, mm. because so, so much of our tech comes off what he does, and I think DuPont does pretty much the same thing for the, for them. Whether they've got another DuPont or somebody, a similar type of player, I don't really know. Um, second point is just in and around Sam Kane. Um, I heard Dino before, and Always respect old, old Dino's opinions about him, but listen, I think Sam Kane is one of these players that has actually suffered because I don't know if we've ever had a probably since the last tri- trio we had in 2015. I don't think we've had a had a been able to roll out the same trio mm. um, or consistently is what I'm saying. So I don't think Sam Kane's ever had an opportunity to develop a relationship with the with those other two back row forwards because we've chopped and changed so many times. I still don't believe we've actually got that mix mix right. We may have found it when the likes of um, Shannon Frizzell strung together a, a couple of good performances in a row. But even even myself, I don't think Artie's a true number eight. He does a fan, fantastic job. And I know his leg drive is always mentioned uh, when he's playing. He's a hard player to pull down, but he doesn't always give you quick go-forward ball. Say, for example, like a really big number eight does. That does. You look at Vermeulen, um, you look at the likes of even, um, oh, God, Valentino, when he plays, when he's in that back row position or he shifts into number eight. They are such big men. They 
they just give you that go forward. And that's simply because of their size, you know. You've you've actually got to drop those sort of guys low. And because when you do that, that gives you that immediate go forward. So I don't know if Artie gives you that. So it's just one of those unfortunate situations where, boy, you know, even somebody like Artie, you could arguably say he's probably played his best rugby in the North like Jersey, maybe off the bench initially. And he's so good, he's probably one of those players that you can't afford to leave out. Mm. But I do know, I think we're a better team when Sam Kane is on the paddock because he just brings you a bit of physicality. I think your modern seven has got to not only probably have the ability to to obviously be accurate on the, on the tackle, but I think he's got to be good on the carry as well. Probably, if anything, doesn't get the same sort of turnover ball, but I think in this modern-day game, unlike... You know, you think back about 10, 15 years ago, you had probably only three or four jacklers, really good out-and-out jacklers around the world, you know, the likes of George Smith, Pocock when he came through for Australia, um, probably McCaw himself, who were just expert jacklers, but now in the modern game, most of the guys are good at jackling the ball, so you sort of expect that from your other 14 players on the paddock to do it. But I do believe it's just his physicality is what they like, because he can hit hard, no question whatsoever. We've seen that from Sam Kane. Um, yeah, probably doesn't get a lot of love from the public acting, but um, I, I think a lot of it's misconstrued. But, hey, that's my opinion anyway. Good points well made, Steve. Thanks very much for taking the time to call. We'll come back shortly. Uh, we'll go inside the All Black camp now. They've done a bit of a press conference with a few players. First one we're going to hear from Aaron Smith, uh, head of the Italy game next week. How's the team approaching it? We're looking um, at Italy as it's a playoff game, really. It's um, still a die for us, and that's how we've got to treat it. And this week's about learning as much as we can about them, getting our game and the things we can control um, in, in a spot, and also getting our body and mind fresh and ready to go for um, hopefully a long run and uh, you can feel it like I said you can feel it already in the, the team and the energy around what's coming next Friday and um, wanting to be in the team that um, gets that opportunity. And of course there's been a lot of talk over this side of the world about the amount of kicking Aaron Smith was asked about their kicking game. That's a big strength of ours with um, you know our our drivers, our 10s and 15s ability to kick on the run and kick for our um, guys are able to catch in the air and also um, kick and land in space. And, you know, teams are very good at spacing out now. If you get a line break and stuff, they spread the field well, but they can't cover everything. And it's up to our wingers and our outside edges communicating into our drivers, where's this kicking space kick? Because the longer you hold the ball, the more you're at risk to turn it over or give the team a penalty. So if you're not winning the breakdown, you need to be smart about where can we kick and pressure them now. And also, Will Jordan was also put up for a bit of a chat. He was also asked about the increase in kicking game. We've done some good work around our attacking kicking game throughout the year with the cross kicks and little kicks in behinds. So it's about balancing up between going long and kicking short. But have noticed that up here, a lot more teams have been kicking long and sort of forcing you to kind of play from deep. So... That's something we probably had to adjust to in that first game. And, um, yeah, we're working out how we can best kind of win that battle and then ignite our counter game, which we love doing. Um, we want to try and have a, a crack, and um, it's exciting when they are kicking, if we can, yeah, have a go and look to really, um, yeah, spot them that way. 
And we'll take a break. On the other side of this, if you didn't know, Drew Mitchell, uh, former Wallaby, had a real tee-off crack at Eddie Jones about the team he's taking to the World Cup. I'm going to play you that with the beeps, but you can use your imagination what he's actually saying. We'll play that to you before the news. So the next piece of audio we're going to play you, there is a podcast in Australia with a number of former Wallabies. I think Adam Ashley Cooper's involved. Uh, I think Jeremy Paul's involved, actually, who we're going to hear from soon. Uh, But so is Drew Mitchell, and he teed off at Eddie Jones about the team he's got at the World Cup. Let's not take away from the fact that Fiji played really well, but let's also not take away from the fact that we shouldn't have lost to Fiji. Eddie sits there and goes, yeah, it's it's my fault. I take full responsibility. What the f*** does that mean, though? Like, he doesn't get dropped this week. He's not not coaching next week. Like, it's just like an empty line at a, in a press conference. Yeah, I take full responsibility. Like, what does that equate to? Like, nothing. You've, you've made some glaring decisions around Quaid, uh, around Michael Hooper, captaincy, there's six captains in seven weeks. Like, explain some of these decisions to us. Because as fans, we're all sitting here scratching our head. And a lot of the time we can sit there and defend Eddie or the Wallabies because we can understand logic in some of these decisions. But there's none of it. And he's sit there and he and he's not actually given any explanation as to why Quaid's not there. Why is Michael Hooper not there? He said, oh, because Michael Hooper's injured. Well, you've taken Pone Farmer silly. You've taken Max Jorgensen and these other guys that are injured. So, like, that's a redundant point. Why the f- have you not selected Michael Hooper, Quaid Cooper? Like, come out and actually tell us as fans, why have you not picked these guys? Because now... We're seeing the result of you not picking some of these guys. So, yeah, he didn't hold back, did he? And uh, we will be talking to Jeremy Paul very shortly. If you've got any questions around the World Cup for JP, get them in now, double eight, double three. Um, I know half the country's with the Rural Roundup at the moment, so um, I'll remind them after the news at one. Now, um, Staffy, uh, oh, the great man, Marshy, who I owe a box of tui. Uh Saturday. Out for a pig hunt at 4am, then home by 2 and a few beers to watch Hawks Bay versus Southland. Have a sleep, then watch Auckland versus Taranaki, then the Waz. Marshy, you've got a magnificent Saturday lined up for yourself. Questions for Jeremy Paul, because the Jeremy Paul show. Oh, it's not after the news, is it? No, we're going to hear from Ryan Fox after the news. You can send your messages in for JP, though, but Foxy after the 1 o'clock news. Just go on one o'clock. Uh, for those that have just joined us from the Rural Roundup, we had a wonderful first, uh, the World Cup headline hour. Latest news on Antoine Dupont. The captain of France is, they're going to make a call in 48 hours. They're going to wait for the hematoma swelling to go down on his jaw um, to see whether that crack or the break will become much less significant. It's normally an eight-week injury. They're hoping it'll be a four-week injury, which will make him available for the semi-final. So I guess we won't be hearing anything more for a couple of days as uh, they monitor um, the head clash and resulting um, fracture, crack of the jaw. And we will keep you up to date uh, in, the ne- in the coming days. Uh, with any information on that. Now, a couple of days ago, I caught up <coughs> with Ryan Fox uh, post his wonderful victory on the DP World Tour. Um, yeah, it was a couple of days ago. I was going to play it the next day, but I haven't been here. So let's play it now uh, myself with Ryan Fox a couple of days ago. S-E-N-Z. We're going Northern Hemisphere. We're going golf, and we're going to our man, Ryan Fox, who's had a couple of days to let this victory sink in, Foxy. Uh, I... <laughs> 
it's nothing. It's I wouldn't like that. You can't sort of get used to it, or, or did it feel a little bit more comfortable? Um, uh, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. It's it's weird. I actually felt very comfortable down the stretch, which is surprising because I felt pretty awful around that golf course when it meant nothing before. Um, you know, there's some pretty intimidating shots, but on Sunday I actually was was right there, really comfortable. Um, you know, obviously still a bit nervous, but yeah, very, yeah, probably more comfortable than I have been even at, even at Dunhill last year, but certainly can't get used to what comes with it. Mm. Um, you know, thinking, thinking back on it now going, that actually happened, looking at, you know, see the leaderboard and see, see who I kind of beat down the stretches. That's, that's a bit surreal to be honest. Do do you, Try and identify why it worked for you this week. What were the components? Because we talked earlier this week to Bruce Young, who I'm sure you know out of Australia. We get him on to analyse golf and celebrate results, and he was very effusive in his praise for you. But we looked back over the last six or seven times you've played there, and it wasn't tremendous reading results-wise. You know, 60ths, 90ths, I think you had a 20th or a 10th or something like that, and then you've just come out and one on a very difficult golf course. So do you go back and look at your prep and try and identify why it worked? Um, a little bit, but I think golf's just funny like that. I mean, you know, you, you, you see so many times guys miss a bunch of cuts in a row and then go and win. Or you know, I've had it before where I've missed seven cuts in a row and then had my best result in a major. Like sometimes it just doesn't make sense, and it's not a golf course I've ever felt comfortable with before. It's not. It's you know it's probably been a golf tournament that I've wouldn't say dreaded, but maybe not enjoyed going to because there's there's quite a lot of shots I fit, I, you know, I I I've struggled to see in the past, and it was still the same this year. But you know I just had one of those weeks where it re, where everything worked. You know I drove the ball really well, bar that third hole on Sunday. Um, and you know my putter worked. I, you know, probably the best putting week I've had, and um, you know that's what you need to do to win tournaments. And you know, sometimes you've just got to, you know, you can look at what you've done, but there's, you know, I think there's a little bit of you've just got to let, just leave it up to the golf guys, and the golf guys kind of decided it was it was my week to an extent. You know, I, I knew I was playing well, but everything kind of worked, and. You know, there's not many guys other than maybe Tiger and a couple of others that have been able to kind of replicate that week in, week out. Uh, full admission on Sunday night, I watched a replay of the UFC. I actually played golf on Sunday myself terribly. Uh, had more than one triple bogey. Uh, and I watched the replay of the UFC and I went to bed and I checked your score because um, we have a little multi-bed at work and my leg was you to finish in the top 20, which was paying quite good money. And so I went to bed and I think you were 19th or 20th, you'd had your triple bogey and I went, oh, geez, it's going to be touch and go. Woke up in the morning uh, and you'd won the bloody thing. And I was like, how did that happen? Clicked on your scorecard, birdie run. That's that's an afternoon of golf we all, we all dream of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know... You take out that third hole. The, actually, you take out one swing because I actually played the third hole decently the second time round. I was a yard away from making bogey, basically. I just didn't cover the front bunker and it was all over it. Ended up having a tough up and down and making triple. But it was, yeah, I, I literally didn't miss a shot. 
Um, and, you know, to get to shoot 600 on the back nine to win a tournament like that and that kind of company, I mean, you just, yeah, it's it's as good as, it, you know, it's as, good as I've got. It's really nice to know as good as I've got can beat those guys too. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just, it's where everything worked. And as I said, I felt strangely calm coming down the stretch. You know, there are some really intimidating shots. And while there was some nerves, I just, felt like I could I could deal with it I had the shots and it was a nice nice place to be and you know it was certainly what you'd call you know being in the zone mm. um you know it was it was all there and um you know made made good decisions hit good shots you know kind of felt like you know I never take my time really but felt like I took my time to, to make the right decisions to pick the shots and all of that stuff and yeah it's it's the it is the week's it, well, it's the rounds you dream of, and it certainly is pretty awesome when it when it happens on a Sunday in a big tournament like that, and you've got a chance to win, obviously. Yeah. In, in a weird sort of way, um, can you bank that triple bogey that it might help you in the future, that you can have something like that and come back and go lights out? Because a lot of people fold after a triple. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I actually had thought of the day before. I think I'd shot six with a with a. I think I'd had a double and at least a bogey, maybe a double and two bogeys on Saturday. And I knew that, like, I had some birdies in me um, if I could basically give myself putts at it. And I don't know if it freed me up or it just kind of refocused me and just gone. I, I, like, I will say I, I thought the tournament was over at that point. You know, I was just fighting to, to try to get a top 10, basically, and then gave myself a, a couple of nice birdie looks, made a couple of the rest of that front nine, and then... Yeah, just caught fire, and at that point, you know, it was I, I kind of got a sniff, and it was it was one of those where it just it all it all it all felt great. I knew it was I knew it was all all there, um, and yeah, I, I, it was it was just a weird one. The triple didn't really phase me too much, apart from maybe standing on the fourth tee, which I really detest that tee shot with a passion, and going just don't make two triples in a row. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm just wondering about your mindset when, when, when you're playing, like not just this week, um, but when you're on the tee box and you're putting the ball, the, the tee in the ground and the ball on top, are you trying to birdie every hole or does every hole get treated very differently? Um, that's, it's kind of, a, it's, it's weird. I, I don't know how to describe it. I, the, what I've been trying to do the last couple of years and, you know, well, I've been working with the same sports site for quite a while, for about four or five years now. But we kind of stumbled onto trying to beat the golf course, um, and so beating the golf course is very different every week. It obviously very much depends on conditions and um, the setup of the golf course. Sometimes shooting even pars beating the golf course. Sometimes shooting six unders beating the golf course, and it makes everything relatively simple. It just becomes you know, the next shot. And it, it almost takes, I used to worry about shots on the golf course. I don't really like this one. or I don't really like that one, but it almost takes the pressure off. It's like, I don't have to hit a perfect shot on that. I just have to hit something in play. Mm. You know, that make, making a par on a hole is not a bad thing. You know, it's not, you know, it's, I don't get on a tee box. I have to make birdie here. I have to make, you know, I don't want to make bogey here or anything like that. It's just, yeah, go out. It just it basically forces me into go out and hit one shot at a time. I know it's a big cliche, but it's it's. 
oh, I find that an easier way to get to that point than actually just try to focus on one shot at a time for some reason. And that's that's all it is. I'm not standing on a tee box trying to make a score. I'm just trying to have a shot. That's basically all, all of this. What's at this stage of your career now? Like you're comfortable. You got you got cards. Um, you've had wins. Um, what what's your main driver? Is it winning tournaments? Is it um, st- getting automatic qualification to majors? Is it golf ranking? Is it road to Dubai? Or or are you do you just peel it all back and just go one tournament at a time? Um, I mean, there's a little bit of that in the background. I, I think for me, I just enjoy, I love playing golf for the most part. I mean, I have a few tournaments a year where I really don't like it, but you know, name one person that doesn't hate their job for certain <laughs> days a year. Um, but you know, it, it's you know, I you know, there's definitely all the other stuff I want to play in majors. I I, I enjoy that sensation of of playing under pressure and and trying to win down the stretch. Um, but you know, for the most part, for me, I, it's it is one tournament at a time. It's I you know, I like playing golf. I for the most part love what I do, and that's you know, nothing nothing's going to change that for a while and it's really cool to have you know, guaranteed status for a, for a few years now after that win um, you know just you know getting a win getting a win out here was was a dream regardless and now you know to say I won four two of two of the pretty big ones in the last year um, you know I've potentially got a PJ Tour card for next year with the top 10 um, top 10 cards from from the order of merit here getting Getting one, I mean that, yeah. Like, there's all that in the background, and want to do that. But you know, when it comes down to it, it's just one tournament at a time, and trying to put myself in contention on Sunday, basically. I saw you whisper to, uh, I think the DP Tour or European Tour, whatever it is, put out a little thing, and you whispered to your caddy, "We're going to another Masters," and he said, "Let's just go and win it." Then is is the Masters the pinnacle event for you? Yeah, I mean it is. I, I, I completely forgot I was mic'd up for that. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it looked good or bad, great. but I thought great. I, 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 I thought that, you know at that point it was um, you know I, I think I got to 31 in the world. I knew there was a fair decent chunk of world ranking points, and I think it was more um, you know I had a few people miss out on going to the Masters this year. The main one, my wife, um, she was 30 weeks, 36 weeks pregnant, I think, at the time of the Masters, and. Um, there was a bit of extra motivation to try to get back there so they could enjoy that experience. Yeah. And obviously I absolutely loved every second of it and wanted to go back too. But, you know, there was a little bit in the back of my mind saying, you know, I, I'd, no, I played one, that's awesome, but I'd certainly like to play another one and kind of, you know, get the people that missed out there because it is just an unreal experience, as a, you know, as a player and as a, and as a spectator. Mate, there might be three million New Zealanders want to go and watch it next year because, man, even though you're not on the... sure, not sure I can find that many. <laughs> even though you're on the other side of the world, like, and we're in the middle of an unreal run by the Warriors, the Rugby World Cups on. There's sport all over the place, and you led all the sports news bulletins um, all week, really, with, with this incredible achievement. When, as you mentioned, you look at the leaderboard and the whole Ryder Cup team was there and you dusted them off. And I said to Bruce Young, actually, I bet you the European Golf Union or whatever they are might be looking at your lineage, seeing if there's some little bit of European blood in you. But um, do, do you feel the support, even though you're a long, long way away, you're uh, away for long periods of time? Um, I feel like you're never far away from us. Do you feel like you're 
a long way away from home? I mean, I feel like I'm a long way, but the support is incredible. Um, I mean, I don't know how many Kiwis are out on the golf course. The amount of times I heard up the wires in the last two weeks <laughs> in Ireland and, and London, I mean, it's it's nuts, um, which is very cool to see everyone get behind them. But you know, it's been, I, I watched the game on Saturday morning here. It was it was awesome. Obviously, we got the World Cup on, as you said. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's been cool. I mean, my phone has gone. Absolutely crazy. I mean, I don't know. I think I woke up this morning with a very sore head. I think I had 110 unread WhatsApp messages. I had 75 text messages. I had 50-something emails, and I didn't even get near social media, which I'm pretty sure there's, if I totaled everything up, there'd probably be a couple of thousand in there. Um, so it's pretty cool that people take you know, time out to send me a message. There's absolutely no way I can get back to everyone. I don't think I have enough time in the day to do that, especially with two kids at the moment. But it's yeah, it's it's awesome the support, and um, you know, I certainly feel it feel it from over here. And I, I guess the cool thing about New Zealanders is there is Kiwis everywhere in the world, and they will get out and support Kiwis. And um, yeah, it's it's been really cool the last couple of weeks over here. There's been been Plenty of Kiwis popping popping up, as I said, and um, I'm sure there'll be plenty over for the World Cup supporting the ABs. Um, hopefully a couple of them are in, at the French Open next week, which would be nice. So tell us, <laughs> being self-employed, you have to manage your own schedule. Um, do wins change things, or how far how far in advance do you plan what tournaments, what your travel logistics look like? Um, for me, it's probably the the end of the year that everything's planned for. I mean, I've got a management team around me, and um, you know, family has a say in the schedule and everything like that. But you know, things have probably changed a little bit. Um, you know, I was tossing up whether I needed to go back to the states um, and try to get you know a few more FedEx Cup points to lock up a card that way. Um, you know, now without the, getting the top ten cards through the through the DP World Tour and that you know the results the last couple of weeks have. You know, basically taking care of that, it, it makes my decision making a whole lot easier for the rest of the year, and I can just stay in Europe. Um, you know, I really enjoy playing over here. We've got some great events coming up. Obviously, I get to defend Dunhill in a couple of weeks, um, French Open this week. Um, you know, I get to play DP World um, in Dubai at the end of the year. I get to play Ned Bank again in South Africa. So there's there's some really cool stuff to look forward to, and then. You know, a nice a nice summer break, and I haven't even looked at next year yet. I don't know where I'm going to be playing. I don't know what tour I'm going to be playing, but they're kind of really good decisions to to have to make. And I think with a win, it just makes everything easier. There's no, you know, I know I've got status out here now till the end of 26, um, which as a golfer, especially getting close to 40, it's pretty pretty nice to have some. Um, some job security and yeah, just it just makes all the decision making a lot easier going forward. And, and given you've got that status to end of twenty six, you could afford yourself uh, the opportunity to go a full year on the PGA Tour with the, I guess, with the insurance policy of the DP World Tour. If you took a year at the PGA, there's always the DP as well. Um, great to have options. Yeah, exactly. And that was, you know, looking back on it, that's probably the biggest thing that happened on Sunday you know obviously the win was huge but in terms of the whole career I get to have a proper crack next year at the PGA Tour you know I you know I've always struggled a little bit in the States in terms of I don't enjoy it that much I I enjoy it a lot more over here but 
know, I get a chance to go, well, okay, the fam, you know, we can get a base in the US, we can travel to all the tournaments, do it properly, and then I can see if I like it or not, and I'm not, you know, putting my job on the line, I'm not, I'm, you know, you know there is, there is a, the fallback back here, um, and I've, you know, I know I'll get all the big events out here for the next few years, so it's, you know, I get the best of both worlds in that sense, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, just made everything, you know, going forward career-wise, just, you know, oh, it's opened a lot of doors, basically. Mm. Well, massive congrats on the win at the at the BMW. Just, um, you're taking us all on the ride, and I also thank you for replying to my WhatsApp amongst the thousands of messages that you've got and staying in touch with us. Uh, really do appreciate that, Foxy. Go well in France this weekend, and um, we will definitely stay in touch, and uh, we'll catch up when you get back as well. Thanks, Steph. Appreciate it. And appreciate all the support again from back home. It's been awesome. There he is. There he was. The great man, Ryan Fox, after that win at the BMW up there and um, didn't have such a good start to the French tournament. I think he was five over, something like that. I'll get that for you. Um, But yes, he he was thereabouts, about five over. So... um, I can forgive him for that. Probably not the best preparation this week, um, but doesn't matter. He'll be back. He will be back and stronger than ever. Heard from Sammy Hewitt, who, of course, will be bringing you live commentary alongside Tony Kemp of the One New Zealand Warriors up at Suncorp against the Brisbane Broncos. He's in the airport. He said, give us try us now. I don't know how good the Wi-Fi is, but try us now. So we'll take a break. We'll get Sammy Hewitt on the line uh, just for a couple of minutes because uh, I don't want to take up too much of his time. So Sammy Hewitt, normal producer, wonderful commentator after the break. We're going across to Australia now for normal producer, uh, full-time rugby league commentator, part-time rugby world cup commentator, and currently a traveller in the Sydney airport uh, amongst the very long layover. Sammy, Sammy, how excited are you? You're in Australia. Well, uh, probably more relief, Steph, that I've, uh, I've landed. As you know, flying's not my uh, my forte. But uh, here we are. I enjoyed uh, watching a couple of movies on a plane alongside Kempe. He's, uh, he's a notorious napper during a movie. So I think I think I watched more of his screen than, I'd, than he did of his. But uh, here we are in Sydney, currently about to go through customs and getting ready for a big day in the... Uh, I don't know, what's the nickname for Sydney? I was going to say the Garden City, but that's not right. It's the Harbour City, is it? The Harbour City. It's been a big day in the Harbour City. Can't wait. <laughs> we, we've actually run a book here at work. We think it's a dollar one that uh, on one of your social media platforms, at some stage in the next few hours, you will post a photo of Tony Kemp asleep in the airport. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the, the odds would be probably quite short. Uh, he's been getting plenty of shut-eye in between. Sometimes I think he's asleep when he's standing up, but uh, he's awake for now. But uh, yeah, if the pick may come at some stage, he tells me uh, we're going to go to a very nice uh, food establishment in a uh, couple of hours. So uh, if he doesn't pass out from a food coma, then then, uh, I'll know something's wrong. Uh, Any evidence of Warriors fans on your flight over, Sam, or since you've landed in Sydney? Oh, absolutely. I'm looking at a Warriors jersey right now. It's uh, It looks like the 2012 Heritage jersey, potentially. Um, there are plenty floating about. There were no up the wires on the plane. Um, in fact, I think Kempi was the only one who yelled up the wires in the airport. But uh, there definitely are... Uh, there definitely are... There is a strong Kiwi presence there. Um, you can definitely see it. So, yeah, it is exciting. 
you and Kempe, you've called all the Warriors games this year. Just on a personal level, how big is this for you this weekend? Yeah, oh, pretty, pretty massive. Um, it's it's sort of funny because obviously, you know, very early on into my sort of commentary career, I mean, some some commentators will probably have to wait, you know, 10, 10 years before the team they're calling makes it into a final like this. So pretty lucky that I think it's happened within the first few years for me. But, yeah, very special, um, probably almost more as a fan step, just going to see your team play, you know, this this close to a grand final. Uh, and look, if they win, then uh, to say I was there, I think it would be pretty amazing. But, yeah, to call it is also a, a massive honour. Because, I mean, calling every game is obviously a... Uh, a massive honour and privilege, but yeah, even better when it's a prelim final. So means a lot, and um, I'm just really hoping that you know we're going to get a game that I guess fits all of that excitement rather than something that turns into a bit of a dud. So uh, fingers crossed we get that tomorrow night. Let's hope they give you some heavy duty microphones because I don't think Aussie rugby league commentators have seen the enthusiasm, the like that you and Kempe <laughs> throw at it, mate. Well, well, here's the thing: we're, we're right next to the uh, SEN team that are calling the game as well. And they are uh, there's only a glass a bit of glass separating us. So they will they will experience uh, the high decibel action of SCNZ first hand step. And I don't I don't know else the glass uh, the glass can stop us. <laughs> who's call, who's calling it in Australia? I think they'll just hand the headset to you, mate. Oh no, I think uh, I think it's I actually don't know who it is. I know Sats is involved. Um, so I took the message away to Sats, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing a pregame with them as well, so that'll be awesome. Um, if you remove your, if, if yeah. you remove your, all right, I'll get off it now. Yeah, yeah. All right, I gotta go, Steph. I'm getting in trouble. All right, fine. Get yourself through. I'm well and truly. Have a, have a right, blast, mate. mate. Have a blast. We'll, we'll do. See you, mate. Well, well, that finished under ceremonies. <laughs> Sounded like some, some. Maybe it was a Broncos face. Get off your phone, mate. Couldn't pick up what he said. I'll message him, find out what he said. Just quickly, a couple of texts on uh, the chat with Ryan Fox. What an amp- absolute champion bloke and Kiwi Ryan Foxes. I could listen to him chat for hours. I agree. Staffy, great interview with Foxy. Even the commentators were calling him Foxy in the last round and seems very well liked over there. Regardless, the Warriors, if they win this weekend, will the country lose their collective mind? I think they will. I think they will if the Warriors win. Uh, from Dean, you got to love this bastard. Go win it, Ryan. You've got the game. Thanks for your time. Super, super proud of you. Uh, champion bloke showed real Kiwi grit and determination. Look at the leaderboard one day soon. That could be a major. Uh, something across. Fingers across. He's good enough. Yesterday proved it. Um, fantastic. Right, we'll take new sport and weather. We'll come back after that. Robbie tells me that's straight out of a South African music oldies mix. Is that it, Robbie? That's it. No idea who it is, but oh, feel. Oh, there's some music. There's some singing. Rhythmic. TB update time. I had a text through just before. Actually, I'll find it so I can read it properly. Staffy, I'm looking for a successful drop goal option for the Panthers Storm game, but I can't seem to find it. Can you give me a hint? I can. It's under power plays. Click into the game. It's under power plays, and it is successful field goal in the match. $5. $5 available for that whole swag of power plays. Um... 
there's probably about 50. Isaac Targo scores more tries than uh, Seve. Harry Grant or Cam Munster, any time try scorer, two set. There's a whole swag of them, an absolute whole swag of them. Uh, the head to head on that one at the moment Panthers are 120, Storm are 435. I never thought, well, not never, but in recent years, I, I, I just could never imagine Melbourne Storm paying $4.35 in an NRL playoff match with their pedigree. Um, but boy, this Penrith side are special. Warriors 370, Broncos are at 126. We've done, we've given you updates on all of those for all. I'm just going to run through the NPC stuff for you. Let's do some picks. Home side underdog, I'm picking the first one. Point start, Northland taking on Bay of Plenty, the very, very good home at home. I'm picking it's at Seminoff Stadium. Counties Manako Manawatu. Tomorrow, two o'clock. <laughs> Come on, you turbites. Uh, turn yourself from turbos into terabytes. Go large. Um, not picking in that one. Not picking in that one. Southland at home to Hawke's Bay. I like Southland point start there. Canterbury-Tasman, that is going to be a ding-donger at 4.35 on Saturday. Canterbury-Tasman, arm wrestle. Canterbury have lost a little bit of their spark this year. Not prepared to write them off. I'll take them in a close one. Taranaki-Auckland. I know I incorrectly said a couple of weeks ago, I think Auckland have found the missing link now. Uh, and they'll be away, and they sort of haven't. Taranaki are a good hope. Um, they have the home game. Wellington, I don't know if they're going to get beaten this year. I don't think they're going to get beaten this year. They'll take care of North Harbour. And Waikato against Otago. I think Waikato will get over that one. Is the Heartland out yet? He said. I love me some Heartland. Rugby Union might not quite be out. No, it doesn't look like it. Just a whole lot of World Cup and a whole lot of NPC. Uh, World Cup-wise, Wales 197, Australia 185. <clears throat> I I know I'm against Jamaica. I know you think Ireland and Wales and I think Australia and South Africa. Two just tremendous games to look forward to this weekend. Uh, had a few text messages. Let's get... Uh, oh yeah, Craig says the sniffer dog's got to Sam. He hasn't replied to my text asking him what happened, but I'll, I'll keep you keep you abreast of it, Craig. Why he had to get off his phone? Hi, Staffy. What are your thoughts on some of the? Sorry, tab.co.nz. Alrighty, gamble responsibly. There's a, so many power plays and things available for the Rugby World Cup. It's unbelievable, and the NRL as well. That also is unbelievable. That's to the man that wrote in and said I said unbelievable too much so unbelievably happy to get that unbelievable letter Staffy what are your thoughts on some of the scheduling of this World Cup where do I start there's too many days without any games on compare that to the soccer World Cup just recently during pool play I'm pretty sure there was a game on every day I looked at the schedule and it looks like Namibia will play all four of their games in 19 days and the All Blacks won't have even played their third game when Namibia have finished all of theirs, Andy. they got four years to get this right. I don't mind the odd day off, but I, I'm with you, Andy. I truly believe there should be games five days a week. Give me five days a week just to keep the conversation, to keep the talking points going, keep us invested. 
you know, give Chile, give Namibia, give them a, give them a one standalone on a day, and the whole world will tune in and watch. I'm with you. Um, the seedings they cocked it up, the draw, they lose momentum. I'm a hundred percent with you, Andy. Staff, I'm looking for. I've told, I've read that one. Uh, your mate Steve is on the mark. We don't have. This was Steve from Auckland talking about. Uh, Sam Kane. Uh, we don't have heavy mobile loose forwards who are consistent performers in this country. Artie's strength is he brings aggressive passion, but he is a utility forward only. That's from Dan from Mikey. Oh, that's a question for Jeremy Paul, so I'll save that. Hi, me, Zaid here. Alex Pereira and your Uber have been booked for a light heavyweight title. I wonder who that is. Yao Rodriguez? Oh, I don't know who that is. Uh, for a title fight in the UFC in New York in November. And Colby Covington and Leon Edwards have been booked for the welterweight title in December. Are you Dana White's booking agent, Life Members Aid? You just seem to know everything before anyone else. Didn't France look slick and polished this morning? From uh, Steeler. They sure did. Other than our 9 and 10 combo, we haven't got any other established combinations like we used to before. Smith, Nonu, etc. Jordan should be at 15 and keep him there, playing too many out of position once again. Not looking good, I feel. We'll be very lucky to get out of the quarterfinals, unfortunately. You're right about combinations. We've been searching for a 6 for a long, long time. Um, There's another question for Jeremy Paul. Excellent. Uh, there's a question about Muzzy the Cuzzy. I've replied to you on Instagram. I like Sam Kane, and I don't understand the hate he gets. Every game he goes out and folds people, he does. We want the All Blacks to win, but our Cuzzies across the ditch might surprise us over the Welsh match. What do you think? I think Australia will win. I think it'll be close. I won't be surprised if Wales win. But I think uh, Australia, very, very close. We'll find out what's making news after this break. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? And with Sammy in Australia, I have Rubinio in the booth. And I just wonder if he's a spy for the Guinness Book of World Records. The pressure, <laughs> the pressure. I've I've um I've done my research, Steph. Good. Uh, been listening back to Sam's What's Making News. Mm-hmm. Uh, heard especially last Friday's one, where he rambled through a whole bunch of Guinness World Records that are going to be in 2024. Yeah. Uh, first of all, he didn't get my authority to uh no. to overrule the um stepping on your to garden. overrule the copyright that I've put on Guinness World Records, obviously. Um, but yeah, oh, great records. How good are records? They're just interesting. They're very interesting. It's just, it's what just people do. Um, well, speaking of what people do, this this Pennsylvania man uh, earned a Guinness World Record by going to the movie 777 times in a one-year period. <laughs> so Twice he, a day. He started uh, with a screening of The Minions Rise of Gru, of course, in July 2022. Completed his record attempt with a showing of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny one year later. Um, broke the record of 715. Poor effort there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he saved on movie tickets by signing up to an unlimited membership, which uh, allowed him unlimited trips to the movies for 22 a month. So that that was his way of kind of getting around uh, getting around pricing. Um, Regal employees monitored the man during the, his screenings to make sure he was following the rules set forward by Guinness World Records, which included not taking bathroom breaks 
or having any snacks or beverages during the films. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he said he, he said he would see up to three movies after work on weekdays and squeeze in more during the weekend. Wow. That's amazing. I reckon I'd go close to a world record holder of podcasts. Right. Too. Okay. Mm. Um, he said he said the movie he saw the most times was Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, 47 times. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Um, favourite film across the Spider-Verse, least favourite was The Devil Conspiracy. Wow. Right. Can you just put Joey on hold? I will put Joey on hold. He can he, he can hear the he can hear the show while he's on hold, can't he? Probably. Oh, you have to go over to the other machine. What have I done to you? What have I done to you? Just thrown what's making news because um, Joey was ringing. Now I'm pretty sure Joey. Oh, there we go. Joey can hear the station. Joey can, can hear. Just, us. You Joey just wait there, now. Joey. You he's just on wait hold there, Joey. Officially, um, the attempt was uh, raising awareness for mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, good on him. Um, Secondly, police descended on a community space in Britain where some local dog walkers mistook a yoga class group meditation exercise for the results of a ritual mass murder. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, basically, they were on their way um, and they just they saw, they saw these people lying on the floor. Mm. Uh, turned out to be a yoga class in meditation. <laughs> they thought, yeah, less said about that, the better. But... Um, <laughs> Um, the post said, Dear general public, please be mindful. The observatory has lots of yoga classes happening in the evenings. We are not part of any mad cult or crazy clubs. Mm. Good to know. Fantastic. Good to know. Um, and finally on the story front, uh, we're, go- we're going back. A donut of world records, if you will. A uh, Canadian chef, known for his knife skills, broke a Guinness World Record by chopping 166 slices of cucumber in 30 seconds while mm. blindfolded. <laughs> One for you to try on the break. Okay, I will. Yep. Um, so yeah, that that was on a that was on a TV on a TV show, um, on an Italian TV series, and oh, well done on getting something out of Italy. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's we, usually we, a state. In no, America. no, yeah, we're going international. Um, couple couple of facts quickly. The main library at Indiana University sinks over an inch each year. Oh. Engineers failed to account for the weight of all the books that it would eventually hold. <laughs> Actually, stack of boxes is a heavy thing. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting one. Uh, the inventor of Pringles apparently buried in a Pringles can. Now that's a bit silly. Is it? Well, they stay fresh for ages. Right. So they could inter him sometime Ooh. in the future and he'll be fine. Yeah, true. Um, and this one does actually appear in the back in the day that I put together, but we likely won't have much time after chatting with Jimmy, so I'm chucking it into what's making news because it also doubles as uh, what I think is a ridiculous fact. So baseball, yep. familiar? Yeah. Uh, intentional walks, yep. familiar? Yeah. Yeah, so so summary for those who are unfamiliar, each throw, pitch thrown in a baseball can either be a strike if it's within the strike zone or a ball if it's left alone outside the zone. Uh, what teams can do sometimes is intentionally walk a batter um, if they, you know, want to want to get the pitcher to hit next in line, or if they just don't want to throw to the guy, um, that's hitting. Uh, and basically, on this day in 2004, for the second time, Barry Bonds was intentionally walked four times in a nine-inning game. And the fact from all this, Bonds was intentionally walked 688 times in his career. To put that in context, the second most is just 316. Wow. People did not want to pitch to him. They did not. He could smash it, the bazaar. Uh, Rory's just texted through saying he hit on his yoga instructor once, which put him in an awkward position. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Oh dear. We'll take a quick break. There are some texts about what does it say here? Staffy, here's a worry. If the pond is out for a while and France happened to lose to Italy, which has happened before, is it possible we could knock out of pool play? Gee whiz. Mikey G. And someone else mentioned that if Italy don't get beaten by more than 30 and get a bonus point against France without DuPont, are the All Blacks in trouble? Robinho in the booth informs me that the first... Like, if we lost to Italy, um, we'd all be on the same. The first countback method is who beat who. So as long as we beat Italy, if we ended up on the same points as them, we've beaten them. And I think for and against comes in in the latter path of uh, qualification. I've tried to verify that, can't find it. Um, it'll be there somewhere, but I didn't have long to find it. Uh, Zaid says, are the All Blacks missing Hoskins uh, Satutu at the World Cup? Zaid? No. No, Zaid. And they're not missing Akira either, Zaid. Or Zahn Sullivan. Or Sam Nock. They've got Dalton. I've got Dalton. Have you got any questions for Jeremy Paul for the Jeremy Paul show? It's at two o'clock. We're in the middle of the World Cup. Chuck your questions at him. I've got three or four already from you fine listeners. You can be one of them too. Jeremy Paul after the news. Welcome back in team. We've just gone two o'clock. We've got an hour to go before we hand over to the run home. Don't forget we have so much live sport coming up for you. This weekend, uh, the big one, the big one is the one New Zealand Warriors travelling to Suncorp to take on the Brisbane Broncos and Sammy and Kempe will be bringing you that um, live, I think, kick-off at 10pm tomorrow night, build-up from 8. Wow, they're going to earn their onions tomorrow night, aren't they? Two-hour build-up, but they will be running on adrenaline, absolute adrenaline. Um I'm still waiting for more updates about Antoine Dupont, but uh, there's an opinion piece that's come out of France saying that France can say goodbye to hopes of the World Cup if Dupont doesn't play. Well, we thought that when Dan Carter went down in 2011, and so did um, Aaron Cruden, and so did Colin Slade, and then came in Beaver, fresh off the white-baiting net. Um I'm not putting a line through them. It'll be a little bit harder for them because he's brilliant and he's their captain, but uh, I'm definitely not one to put the line through them. Rightio, uh, it's just gone too. It's time. It's time for the Jeremy Paul Show with your hosts, Mark Stafford and Jeremy Paul. Jeremy Paul Show. Which is even more exciting in the middle of the Rugby World Cup. JP out of Australia, our former Wallaby champion. Afternoon, sir. Kia ora, bro. Kia ora, mate. France cannot win without Deport. Oh, really? Cannot win. No. That important. He is is that important. Like, mate, I know when when Dan cut, but I think – I think though you had enough there. I just think Deport, he's just he is everything to France, mm. and they've never lost them before. Yes, that's true. I think, mate, I think, I think. Um, look, they've been at home; they still have their chance because of that home crowd. But whoa, without him, mate, oh, 
I, yeah, I don't like their chances. Ireland, man. Ireland. Oh, they look good. <laughs> Back on the, the story coming out of France is he's got a hematoma on his face. They're not going to decide for forty-eight oh, no, hours if that's easy. if the crack if the crack goes down enough that he doesn't need an operation, he'll be back for the semis. They think, but if he does need an operation, he'll be gone. Yeah, no, he's gone. No, he's gone. You don't want to be stuffing around with with stuff like that. Like, no, I, especially with all the head rolls. It's, it's all around his head, is it? Jaw. Is it jaw? No, mm. oh, no. No, no, no. I can't see him risking that, especially one especially in the position he plays. Like he just he gets loose contact all the time, right? Mm. So Well No, no, I, I, that's that that'll end them. Our first hour, uh, we have a twelve to one New Zealand time rugby world cup headline hour. Um, we played about a minute 10 of Drew Mitchell coming off his long run. <laughs> it was just emotive but it was quite factual too now my understanding was you were part of that podcast with drew mitchell saying uh almost time's up for eddie no look he was he was showing his emotion mate like he was um yeah look he's a little bit under the weather having had a big night not much sleep but <laughs> i think i think he represented what all wallaby fans is the frustration over 20 odd years mate um and also just consistent um, decisions that have been or decisions that have been consistently poor <laughs> like um, the fact that we only took 110 into and I did I not say this six to eight weeks ago mm. with Carter Gordon mm. I said mate he's having a, a magnificent um, first couple of tests and wow but he's gonna he's gonna crash because that's that's youth and pressure. Um, plus, he also doesn't have someone on the training pitch to not only help him necessarily, but to compete against. Like, who's he competing against? Nobody. To sharpen his skills, to, to apply pressure on his position to get selection. Mm. Yeah, there was a, that's a, and, and experience within that squad, right? Like, Michael Hooper, no Michael Hooper. I even said when, it, when he wasn't picked, I was like, whoa, that's a big big call man because 125 tests and not 100 just any old 125 tests 125 tests of 100 just pure dedication to the wallaby jersey like and experience in times where tough games where they've won so i think um yeah i think drew really just reiterated what every wallaby fan was saying during the selection period and why he made these selections so um yeah just just to have that one backstop mate like the one or two backstops mm. particularly when we've got a couple of players that are already injured right like but I, it was pretty coincidental that um young max jorgensen goes and gets ruled out very very quickly um which allows the opportunity to bring in a 10 i suppose uh, let's go to the questions from the listeners. Mikey in Christchurch says, for JP, I know it's the unthinkable, but I think Wales are playing with confidence, have a discernible game plan, and are well coached. So if they beat Australia this weekend, what does that mean for rugby in Australia? Oh, it's diabolical for us. Um, it was always... It w <laughs> Mate, it's it's hard to even comprehend, right, that we'll fall out of the top ten. Um definitely obviously have to re-qualify for the Rugby World Cup. 
which in itself won't be a bad thing because it'll build more test matches, more experience with the young side that he's looking to go for over the four years. But yeah, it'll be it'll be huge and just another blow. Which, like you know, when you've got a man already beaten on the ground, they're just playing boots into it. They're just <laughs> kicking the absolute crap out of him, and that's that's a wallaby. That's that's rugby Australia right there at the moment. So. Oh, it's even hard to comprehend, bro, to be honest. <laughs> like, it really is. Uh, I'd like to think that having Tate McDermott back and hopefully Will Skilton back, maybe even um, Tupo back as well, there's there's a couple of whispers that he's might be he might be available as well. So, mm. oh, oh, goodness me, man. I hate to even think of the unthinkable. Let's just... Let's just talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah, we will. Okay. Uh, Nathan sent in two questions. First one, uh, did you ever get a tackle wrongs that had you done it in today's game, you would have received a yellow or even a red? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So many times, actually. So mm. many times. Because I, I, I don't know when, like, say when Jonah ran at you, you just, I, I used to just jump and go for his head. Like I just like because his legs were too big. His head was the smallest part of his body, <laughs> so I literally would jump, and he would try to push me off, and then I think I just got tangled up in his feet, and he tripped over me. So, but yeah, my first my first thing was just to jump up high and try and wrap him up top because that was the smallest part of his body. <laughs> Nathan also asked, "What's the worst tackle you were ever on the receiving end of?" Oh, look, I got knocked out. Jerry Collins, man, the great Jerry Collins. The, the two times I got really probably badly concussed um, where I couldn't remember, actually, Jerry Collins got me one flush straight in the jaw. And I went, I got, I was, I, I wasn't out, out like for a period of time, but I, I was definitely heavily concussed. And I was going to the line out. And the line-out call, because in a line-out, you'd have 120 to 150 different options, right? And I never forgot a line-out, never once. And the caller called the line-out, and I, I stopped and went, I ran up and said, whoa, whoa, recall, recall. And I ran to him and I said, who's that going to? <laughs> and, <I was> like, <laughs> and he said, mate, just throw it to me straight up, right? And I said, yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet. And I went to throw the ball and I hit him in the nuts. Like, <laughs> like my motor skills. So yeah, man, I, I got, yeah. And actually in Wales, in the 99 World Cup, I came off the bench and 45 seconds in, I ran the ball and this one of the brothers, the Cornelson brothers or something, well, anyway, there were the two brothers. One was number eight and the big unit. Who was oh, the, the Cornells. Yeah, the Quinnells. He's come across, and they've actually had vision of it, and he has collected me in my jaw, and my knees have just, I've dropped. Like, I've dropped. <laughs> and I ran around for about five minutes with my head cut off, and then they, like, actually then had to take me off. Because um, I was that, yeah, no, I'm, a lot of that stuff used to happen back in the day. So it's it's it's, it's actually a really good thing that tried to clean that up. But, yeah, no, the, the old jaw ticklers. They, they were very common in my day. I tell you what, I, never... I used to love how the doctor doctor would run on and go, "Are you alive? Yeah, yeah, I'm sweet. I'm sweet. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> you alive? I've never smelling salts. The old smelling salts. You've never got so many questions from listeners. Let's get through them. Uh, from Steve, yeah. after listening to Drew Mitchell, did he play rugby league at some stage of his career? 
Oh, it's just very emotional, mate. Like like every Wallaby supporter is. I mean, I, I tell you what, if uh, New Zealand fans after you lose one game, the, the country melts, right? Like, so can you imagine trying to be? Imagine New Zealand fans in the predicament of Wallaby fans right now. Can you imagine that? There would be riots around New Zealand. There would be riots. There would be places burnt down. So, yeah, I think I think Drew's um, on point there. Mm. Um, interesting one here. This is Bob from Auckland. Uh, re the players being able to swap. Um, playing for different teams now, you know, we've seen All Blacks go back for Tonga, etc, etc. If the law changes were around when you were playing, would you have considered playing for the All Blacks or even the Māori All Blacks? I would love to have played for the Māori All Blacks. Um, never, oh, look, never the All Blacks. I'd never really thought of um, anyone else but the Wallowicks. Because um, I've made a years I played 72 tests but I, I missed out on I think 40 odd through injuries so I could have been 100 tests for the Wallabies but the Māori All Blacks when I played my first game my one and only game against the Māori All Blacks um, got to swap jerseys with Normie Hewitt it was awesome and um, but if there was definitely at the end of my career if there was the opportunity to have ever played for the Māori All Blacks I would have taken it with with open arms I would love to have played for them um, Zaid, he's our life member he's asking uh, what do you think about a bye week in the Rugby World Cup yes yes I, I, ne- I actually didn't even realise it right until Drew actually brought it up like it makes sense um, but I, I don't I think it's it's all about the war of nutrition and the war and the war of injuries and coping with that and keeping your best team on the field and having that extra week kind of nullifies that. So at the end of a seven week tournament, you kind of have not only the best team standing but the team that um, was or the squad that was the best squad. And just having this extra week allows for those sort of niggling injuries, right? Like, so we kind of uh, are nullifying that and that that absolute war of nutrition. So, yeah, there's some pros for it, but there's definitely a lot of cons against it too. Um, there's a lot of questions which I'll put all into sort of one. People talking about... A uh, number of teams competing at the Rugby World Cup. Should it be more? I know I was listening to, ooh, I was either the Springboks or the Irish ex-players, and they were all saying uh, more teams, bigger squads, bigger pools, do it properly. Are you a fan of including more teams um, and, Absolute, and not, pools no, of six no, instead of pools of five? No, not at all. No, no, no. I like, I, look, I think there's, to qualify for, if you want to generally make it a, a sporting event, that's too much. It's too much. You want the creme de la creme, right? You want the best 20 teams in in competing, right? Like, so you want uh, 25 teams, is it? 25? This year? 20. 20. Yeah. Two? No, 20. 20. 20. 20, yeah, I thought yeah. so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pools, um, four pools of five, and there's four pools, yeah? Mm-hmm, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now you want the top 20 teams, so, but it also then allows for these wonderful World Cup playoffs like we saw with Chile beating the, the US. Remember yeah. we saw that when got into their first World Cup? And it actually then prepares them 
for the big stage. Like, I, no, I don't. I don't want to see that. I want to see the current World Cup and what it's what it's all about. I think we've got a great product. I don't think we need to to make it bigger because then we're just going to get bigger blowouts. Like we're already seeing, like you know, France versus Namibia, Romania. Um, yeah, what about Portugal? Oh my goodness, the amateur players, and it was like, what a remarkable story. Mm. So. No, I, ju- I think when you then go down another level, we're going to see, like when we beat Namibia 153-0. Like, I just, I, d- I don't think that is the product we want to show with. It's the World Cup. So it has to be the best, pl- it has to be the best teams, top 20 teams. What about thoughts on bigger squads so we can have a slightly more compressed tournament? Like, I think there's 13 days between games for the All Blacks. Um, I, I think every team should be playing once a week. Uh, because attrition is part of the World Cup. Well, it, it's it when you think absolutely right. Like so, when you think of like thirteen days, that's ridiculous. That that's scheduling, really. Mm. Like mm. It, it should be each week the pool games, if not two in one week, and then you get into the knockout stages of once a week. Right? Like I, I think the formatting and the scheduling needs to be far better. That's ridiculous, New Zealand, 13 days in between a game because that means it shortens the next game, right? Um, because it's all week to week when you get from quarterfinals onwards. But, um, look, bigger squads, um, no. No, look, I think they've got I think they've got everything right, like particularly in previous World Cups I've played in. Um, again, like that, that ability to be able to get through seven games to win the World Cup with your best team or using that squad that you have available. And also, like, let's not forget, like, look at the Wallabies and the selection of the squad that they made. Like, that would then allow coaches to be able to select so many more different players and cover so many more different options. Mm. Like, it also puts a bit of pressure on to select, for the coaches to select the right squad. So... Because that also will impact, like it has impacted the Wallabies in this World Cup, it also impacts the team's performance, right? Like if they go, like if they don't take three halfbacks or three hookers and you only go with the two, look at South Africa going with, what is it, seven forwards on the bench again. If they have an injury in the back line, that is a coach's decision. Yeah. And that's part and parcel of what makes up a really cool World Cup. Right. Two more rapid fire ones. Um, Cam Roygaard, new kid on the block, playing really well, young legs, getting around the park, gives us all different looks. Would you start him for 65 minutes and then bring Aaron Smith on with his 120 test caps with all that experience in the last 15 minutes of a white-hot World Cup game? Good question. No, other way around. Always start with your experience. Always start with your incumbent. Like, it, yes, he's flashy now. Same with Carter Gordon, mate. Like he's gonna, it's gonna crash. Mm. Like you just can't, as a young player, keep up that consistency. And yeah, you'll you'll have a you'll have a blue moon where it's a great period, but you will you will crash. Last one. Can you ask Jeremy Paul if he thinks the Warriors will beat the Broncos up the Waz? Up the Waz. I said the Broncos at the start of the year, bro. I said this eight months ago. <laughs> Said the Broncos. I, I thought said, now the Knights were out, you'd be in our camp. 
Well, look, I would love to, but I've got to go with my pick, right? I said, I said at the start of the year, bro. You said, oh, Bronco. I said, no, the Broncos. Reese Walsh is probably the best buy of the year, and this kid's turned out to probably be the best player in the competition. <laughs> I, I just, mate, I can't see it at fifty-two thousand. But hey, look, if there's a team that is going to upset someone, it's going to be the Wars. But twenty-two thousand of the fifty-two will be Kiwis. Don't you worry about that. Oh, of course they would. It's like every other bloody bladders like cup I used to play in. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> JP, i got to go. We'll be uh, messaging on Facebook during the uh, Australian win over Wales, I can assure you of that. Yeah, and, and Ireland to beat South Africa. Oh, I'm against you there. I'm South Africa to beat Ireland. No chance. Well, right. Let's have a little bit of a wager on that. Okay, I'll be messaging you. I'll be messaging yeah, you. Good man. Messaging. <laughs> See you. Jerry Paul Show over. Uh, we're going to go netball after the break. Courtney Tidy will join us. Just letting you know that the podcast that we played, the Drew Mitchell thing from, is called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Wonderful podcast if you want to have a listen to that. And Jeremy Paul's on that as well. But right now we're going to be talking netball. There's a pretty important series for New Zealand netball coming up against the English Roses. We're joined by former Silver Fern Courtney Tyree to talk about that. Welcome in, Courts. Hi, Scott. How are you? Very well. What what What's your personal take on the England Roses sending a second string team? None of the World Cup squad are coming. Yeah, no, none. I think it was a, a big surprise to everyone. And when the team got released, we all said, wait, hang on, is this a joke? Uh, and then even chatting to some of the players, obviously they're very, very disappointed because I feel like, you know, after what happened at the World Cup, it was, they're looking at redemption and they wanted to go out there and prove themselves against the team who did finish second and are ranked number two in the world now. And, you know, they don't get a chance of doing that. So I think we are all really, really disappointed uh, that England have sent this team over. They said they're giving their players a break and saving them for when they play South Africa. But, I mean, I do think it's probably a little bit of, yeah, a kick in the gut, I think. It's a great opportunity for New Zealand to get back to winning ways, but I, I almost feel like there's no upside for New Zealand because if we don't beat them, and I mean beat them convincingly, um, that's the only option available. Yeah, you're spot on, Staff. It's the only option. I think when we did see the team too, we thought, all right, we're going to have to smash them because, I mean, I was looking at their caps today. Like, majority of the team aren't capped or they only have very few. Between all of them, it's just over 50 caps, which is just crazy. And then you look at, you know, our Silver Ferns team that's been named to play them. Majority of them are at the Netball World Cup. Uh, you've got Amelia Wormsley coming in and then also Mila really Buchanan, who was away with the Silver Ferns at the World Cup as a travelling uh, reserve. So, I mean, for most of these players, I really do hope, like you said, Seth, they have to go out there and they absolutely have to, I think, punish England in this team that they've sent over. I think it's a really important time for uh, Netball New Zealand as well for the fans because, as you and I both know, the 100% fans, they'll stick with them through thick and thin, but there's the 80% fans and there's the 50% fans. They really need to engage both this tiny Jamison and the Constellation Cup, which is coming up in a month. Well, that's it. And I think also, you know, when they were away at the World Cup, you know, they were so grateful for the support that they had. And then obviously that didn't go to plan. And so I think for them to be able to come home and put on a great display of netball for the fans, whether they go live or whether they watch it on TV. And you're right, just to, you know, like you said, majority of the fans are there, those diehard netball fans, which we love. But it's, you know, making sure that we maintain the other fans 
and show them what we can do and give them a product I think that we can all be proud of for the girls wearing the silver ferns dress. Uh, wing attack bib is up for grabs. Ooh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining Whitney Soonis maybe or Mila. Who's who's going to at the end of these next seven tests? Who do you think's going to have their hands up to say I want to wear Gina Crampton's wing attack? I think for me, this is Whitney's opportunity. I think she is an outstanding wing attack, and I did like her when she played in the centre bib. But for me, this is her chance to stand up and own that bib like Gina has done for the last few years. I mean, I do love Mila too, and I think she's just great and she is that engine room. But for me, I really think this is the time for Whitney Spooner to grab that wing attack bib and then hot because she can hold on to it probably to the next World Cup, I would say. So for me, I'd love to see Whitney just really own that bib. Um, we've got Dame Nolene, 2023. Will we have a 2024? What's your gut feeling? Great question. <laughs> My gut is saying no. Mm. I think, um, you know, in talking to her before the World Cup, I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, no, she's already, you know, talking about the rest of the year. Uh, she knows she's on contract, obviously, to the end of the year. So I thought, oh, I think she might go again. But I don't know. After being there on the ground, I just think hopefully, you know, they can get all these wins with the upcoming series and then send her off on a high. So I, I don't, my gut says I don't think she's staying, but in saying that, I don't know who takes over. There's no natural successor, is there? No, there's not. So that's the other tough thing, you know, who who's ready to um, step up and fill those shoes and take on the next four years for the next World Cup campaign, obviously Commonwealth Games in that as well. So, I mean, I would I would be happy if Noel stayed, but I feel like she's probably going to go, but I just don't know who that next one is. Yeah, and that's not a slide on Deb Fuller and other assistants no. she's had. I feel like the natural progression, and I might be a bit biased, was Yvette McCaws and Jury, who stepped away from netball completely at the moment. So they're going to be forced to put her arm behind her back and say stay. I agree. And I do think, like, in my head, I think it's Yvette, and she was at the World Cup. She was uh, helping coach Fiji. You're right, she's... Um, stepping away from netball. So I did think is she setting herself up to so be based in Auckland as well, uh, pretty much. So, and then that is the new year. Does she take over? But I mean, I haven't heard anything. That's just what I think I was thinking in my head. And I'm <laughs> glad that you feel the same stuff. Yeah, I just feel like, um, you know, some people are great assistant coaches and that step up to head coach isn't quite their gig. Um, rugby fans will remember Wayne Smith. I think he coached the All Blacks for half a season. He said, no, I just want to be an assistant. I'm better as an assistant. So... Yeah, interesting times ahead. We've gone way past the news courts. Uh, big three match oh, series. <laughs> We're kicking off four o'clock in Christchurch Sunday, and no doubt you'll be there. Well, I'm actually at the airport at the moment because I'm heading over to Brisbane for the Warriors. Up so, the was. Up, up the was, <laughs> and I'm going to miss the first, unfortunately, Silver Fans match, but I'll be there when they play in Wellington. Awesome. Great to chat, Courtney. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dad. See ya. Um, we'll come back after the news. Let's get through some more of your text messages as we build up to our crossover to Australia to talk to Jimmy Smith. Um, Ian said, geez, I'd love to have several beers with Dean, with Dino, on the terrace at Rugby Park in Invercargill. Up the stags from Ian. Uh, Afternoon, Staffy. This World Cup is such a drag with an easy fix. 
Why not increase the squad numbers to 40, meaning that everyone should be able to play two games a week? All Blacks could bring in some fringe players that can play the not-so-big games and then roll out the big boys for the big matches. I've never been so disinterested in a World Cup ever, and it started with the opening ceremony. Yeah. I, I just don't know why they can't play once a week and spread it out. Like you could play... You could play a Saturday and then the following Friday and then the following Saturday and then the following Sunday, just once a week, all of you. It's not that hard, is it? It's not that hard. Um, hey, Staffy, I really think there should be a trans-Tasman rugby show next year, getting a Jeremy Paul and a Piri or an Izzy or another New Zealand personality on together, an open panel. Costa, don't mind that. Maybe the, Maybe I could have like the... Who would be a good fit? Here you go, people. Put put your thinking caps on. We can double up. The, the Jeremy Paul show will go from 2 to 2.30 with a break in the middle and we'll get a New Zealand co-host of similar personality. Straight away I thought of Andrew Mertens, but he's in Australia and might be harder to peg down. That's a great idea. You're a thinking man, Costa. So text through some ideas as for, for a co-host, the Jeremy Paul and the something show. And... Open slather. I like that. Who's a New Zealander? Who's a New Zealander? I'll, I'll think about it and you guys think about it. Great idea. Uh, a change up from the stuff we've, we have now. We know nothing about the Aussie teams, the breakdown, etc. It feels tired. Um, a change up of from the stuff we have. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, that the Aussie have good journalistic and... Uh, entertaining things, entertaining shows. I've always said NRL 360, the best. Check out Pool C. Fiji are currently sitting in second, even though the Aussies have better points differential because Fiji beat Australia. So yes, that is the countback. It is itchy nose, about to sneeze, don't sneeze. Um, it's who beat who. That is the first countback if you finish on equal points as someone else. Oh, and someone said, follow this link. So what I'll do, I'll click on the link, I'll follow it, <clears throat> and we'll come back and we'll talk to Jimmy Smith in Australia. So you know how Jimmy Smith's quite often late. They went to break early, thinking they'd beat us. So we're just going to turn their show up and just hear him come back in. Can't hear him. Oh. Welcome back to the program. We're heading across to Staffy. Here he is. Hey! Bang on time, Jimmy. There was literally seconds in it. I know, I know. It's exciting though, it is, isn't it? Mm. Is it? I was ta- in the in the ad break. I was talking to Coach K. So I think we're right on time. We're right on time. <laughs> I've got we you get, packing yourself we, a quarter to little, one, <laughs> mate. A little nervy over here. I'm telling you. <laughs> Two buck Chuck was in the middle of this great debate. That, well, actually, it was a debate. There was nothing great about it. It was just Chuck waffling on, and I said, mate, I'm going to wrap it up because I don't want to be late for Staffy no. over here at Senz. How are you, nervous? Oh, no, excited. There's, there's actually no nerves. It's it's full noise excitement uh, from New Zealand Warriors fans. Absolutely okay. no doubt. Okay, so what? give me the most Warriors thing or New Zealand Rugby League thing that you've seen over the course of the last week where you just went, yeah, up the wars. Well, there's a very famous pub down in Queenstown called the Cadrona. C-A-R-D-R, Cadrona, which is on the Cadrona range, and it's a Spates pub. They've changed their name to the Wadrona pub. Sign written, the whole lot. And and where is it? Queenstown. 
Okay, so this is an outside of Auckland phenomenon. Yeah. Oh, that it's, we're, we're... it's ridiculous. It's countrywide. Right. Yeah. The, they are where the All Blacks are playing in a World Cup. <laughs> they are. But I tell you what, Jimmy, um, mm-hmm. I would say the three sporting events that have created the most fervour in my lifetime in New yes. Zealand was yes. when the All Blacks won the Rugby World Cup at home in 2011. Yes. When we won the America's Cup in the yachting and what the Warriors are doing now, and, I, and I'm not over-exaggerating, I have not seen universal fervour in New Zealand apart from those other two things. This is, I'd imagine it was like Ed Hillary climbing Everest back in the 40s or whenever it was, But this, and it's collective. It's North Island, South Island, it's rugby fans, cricket fans, sports fans, New Zealanders are so behind this team. Fervor, great use of the word too, by the way. So well done on that one. The the thing that we have here in Sydney, and I can't talk about other. Well, we had the Matildas of you know recently, mm. but the Sydney Olympics, the, yeah. the Sydney Olympics were a time in our history as this city that was just uh, it, it changed the personality, it changed the outlook on life, on the way you go about day to day life of every single person in this city. It was an extraordinary time in mm. our history. Um, oh. So it sounds something similar. Yeah, I, I was at the Warriors the game last week. I, I hosted a lounge. They, they they opened up extra lounges. They found temporary buildings and all that sort of thing. So just on that, you told us that last week. A clarification, cash, invoice, you haven't? I was an invoice and I got paid pretty much straight away and got half what I invoiced for once they <laughs> once they took out tax and KiwiSaver and ACC and all that sort of stuff. But still, it doesn't matter. But doesn't here's the matter. thing. I don't know if I told you last week, 20 tables of 10. The commercial manager made 20 phone calls and got 20 yeses and I got myself around the people and I said, oh, have you come to every game? And um, there were people who had bought tables and taking people to their first ever game and these wow. people saying, I've been trying to get to a game for two months but they've all been sold out. So excited. So excited. Yeah. Isn't that the new fan? Okay, so I'm going to ask you this one. Um, let's let's make a presumption that there is continued success for the Warriors, mm. right? Do, do we see investment of funds at Go Media Stadium or, or like who else plays there? Who else plays at Go Media? Yeah, like who could justify an increase in spend because how old's that stadium? That's yeah, been around since a long time. Yeah, it's pretty old. If you wander around when it's empty, Jimmy, you'd say, geez, this needs some work. But when it's full yes. and the lights are on and the flares are going off, it's, it's happy days. <laughs> um, it could do with some development. It certainly could. I think they play a bit of club rugby league there before not many people. The All Black, It's an alternative stand. The All Blacks had a test match this year because the grounds were closed for the FIFA World Cup. Um, yep. And they bumped the capacity up to 30,000 with them being there. It's a fantastic viewing stadium, yeah. Jimmy. Parking's yes. terrible. Access is terrible. Oh, really? But that that's all. That's all. Getting to and from any stadium in New Zealand. Getting to and from anywhere in New Zealand's a nightmare. Um, natural amphitheatre too, isn't it? Like yes. It's sort yep. of in, in a bit of a hollow there. But, yeah, I'm just – because the, the more content you can put on it, then you can more you can justify a – a government spend because mm. there are restrictions around Eden Park, right? You've told us about the residents there, but yep. but there's also the fact that that's a rugby ground. 
slash cricket ground, and this is very definitely a rugby league ground. Yeah, it is the spiritual home, and I like that. I like that the players, the fans, the coaches, the members, the management all said it's our spiritual home, and long, and long may it be. Um, uh, you could put some bigger stands in, you could give it a lick of paint, etc. but... If, if you pumped it up to 30,000, would you sell it out every week next year? No, uh, right. you, you wouldn't. Um, it's one of the problems New Zealand's got. We've got these huge stadiums, and with our National Provincial Championship rugby on now, you'll see Wellington play at Sky Stadium that has a capacity of 35,000 with 4,000 people in it. Eden Park oh. with 5,000 people in it. They're never wow. full, Jimmy. They're never yeah, full. right, right. What are the stands name? Do we know? What are the are the stand? Do the stands at Mount have a, Smart? Yeah, uh, East, West, uh, North, and Southern Bank. I think they are. The lounges are named after players. There's the Stacey Jones Lounge, the Mad Butcher Lounge. I think Simon, oh, the Simon Mannering Medal is like the Dally M for the Warriors. Yes. But I don't yes. think the stands have got names. A good point. I wonder who would if you if you had a. There's a talk topic. Rather than telling us which is your favourite lolly, uh, maybe you could ask <laughs> SENZ listeners something about sport. I don't know. That's Simon Man- Simon Mannering would get one, I think. Would he? Yeah. Would he? Yeah. It's ahead of Stacey Jones. He's got a lounge, Stacey. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> got to count that out then. So, uh, uh, Ruben Wiki. Yeah, Two City Wiki. <laughs> you know, that's what they used to call him, <laughs> Two City Wiki. He was over playing at the Canberra Raiders and – I think it was the Super League. He signed with the Raiders and he signed with the, the Warriors. He did. He did. Yeah. So they used to call him Two City Wiki. You know, his daughter's playing NRLW for Canberra. Yes. And did I see that? Did I see see a Soliola's daughter's playing as well? Oh, didn't know that one. I'm sure she is. I'm sure Sia Soliola. I didn't know Ruben Wiki's daughter was, but I knew that Sia Soliola's daughter was playing. Yeah, there you go. If they've yeah. got far from the same gene pool, look out opposition. I know. Absolutely, um, both those both those men, very, very tough men. All right, um, have you dared a dream? What what's the final scoreline for you? Uh, what I want or what I think will happen? What do you think will happen? I think the Broncos twenty eight, the Warriors twenty. Could there be a Black Swan event? We're talking about black, for example, Jimmy, two black swans for me, Stephen Bradbury in the nineteen eighty three <laughs> America's Cup, Mark from Red Bank. <laughs> Oh, Black Swan. It would be a Black Swan event. And I'll tell you what, even if we lose to Brisbane, the whole country's still happy and proud because we're a year early for the playoffs. Next year, I think we'll win the whole thing. Um, only one personnel change, that's Bailey Surinan. Yes. And um, I think what we've learned this year, if we don't go on and win it this year, next year, bang, bang, let's go. Oh, all right, Paramat says, Jimmy, if Staffy has fervour this week and the Warriors win, what will Staffy have next week? It's a it's a Good point. Oh, I will have something because I'm a loquacious human. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> Good on you, boys. Have a great week. There is Jimmy Smith in Australia. We'll go back in the day after this. Here's what happened back in the day. September 22, 1986, India and Australia completed only the second tide test in cricket history and the first test in Madras. Uh, needing 3.48 to win and a minimum of 87 overs. India looked comfortable at 3.30 for six with just 18 required from five overs, but it ended in a tie. It's a very long story. Birthdays today, Ingemar Johansson, former heavyweight boxing champion. He was from Sweden, born on 1932 on this day. Harry Kiel, former Socceroo, turns 45. Phil War, former Wallabies flanker, turns 44 today. And the great, my favourite batsman ever to watch, cover drive supreme. 
Martin Crowe, born on this day in 1962. The number one movie was The Front by Woody Allen. And my first ever karaoke song was this. Thank you for Robinho to step in. I think you're in on Monday as well. Robbie, Sammy, don't miss SENZ's live commentary of the Warriors. It is tomorrow night. Can't wait. But the run home's next. I'll see you on Monday.